identity shifting is not always bad to good. Identity shifting is to who you think you are, to who God says you are. When you say no to something that's not for you, you say yes to something that is for you. Cause I'm lit by myself, baby. I don't need no alcohol. I don't need no hookah to get. I don't know. I don't know about y'all, but I don't. I live in Atlanta, but I don't need hookah to get lit. The reason why your life is not going the way you want it to is because you were saying yes to things that belong to other people. Hey y'all, what's up? And welcome to this video. We're gonna do a Bible study with me. That's why I have a pen, pencil in my hand. But we are going to do a Bible study with me. Do I have my glasses? I can't be over here reading blind. Okay. No glasses today because I don't know where I put my glasses. Ooh. I sound like somebody's mama. And I have my Bible out. So we're just going to do a separate Bible study with me. And I have read the verse, but I, I have read the verse itself that I'm going to be referencing, but I have not read around the verse. So the way that I normally do my Bible studies is I will find a, like a Bible, a guided Bible study book. I have a couple of them. I don't have any of them right here to show you, but I have a couple of them. I can list them in the description box below. Some of my favorites that I've done. And you can buy them just based off of like whatever it is that you're going through in your life right now. Um, for me, I have done them on like fear, anxiety. I've done um, the 40 days through the Bible, which basically just takes you through the Bible from the front to the back, which is a really good place to start if you're not quite sure what it is that you need. That kind of like starts to open up the, um, do I want to say floodgates? I'm not trying to scare y'all, but it kind of just opens things up basically. So 40 days through the Bible was really good. I have, I actually led 40 days through the Bible as well. So I have 40 videos from 40 days through the Bible. I may release those one day, maybe possibly. I don't know. It looks kind of crazy. Like looking back, I'm like, why did I show up like that? But, um, 40 days through the Bible was really good. So normally I grab a study and I just go through the study because it gives me some type of like structure or instruction. But recently, since I've kind of been like getting these spiritual downloads of what I should be talking about on my platforms, not just here on YouTube, not just with the podcast, but also, you know, on my Instagram and my TikTok. And it's like in different places, I'm getting different messages. And at this point, I'm just saying, yes and showing up and talking about that thing i don't always have the time to find a study so normally what i do is i start by looking up that word in the back of the reference section of my bible and i go through the verses i find one that kind of just feels right or resonates with me on a soul level and i go to that verse i read a little bit before the verse and a little bit after i decide on what section i want to focus on a lot of times i just look at the entire chapter right so i look at that entire chapter that entire subsection and i look i pull out 50 observations. Now this is something that I got from the 50 observations portion is something that I got from a video that I watched here on YouTube. I don't even remember like whose video I watched. I think I was watching a video on how to, it was like how to prepare for a sermon or something like that. And I'm not a preacher. I've led Bible study groups before, but that's like, a, that's not like that big of a deal. Right. But I am not a preacher, but I, I feel like the skills that are used to deliver a sermon are the skills of, by which I need to learn to prepare to talk about the Bible. You know what I'm saying? Like it's the same skill set, even though I'm not a pastor. So I was looking, I did a lot of deep research there. I took some theology classes, um, at a church near where I live. Like I was going on a whole binge and I'm not on the binge anymore. Well, I guess I still am on the binge. Just I know thing. I know more now than I than I used to know. So um, the the Bible method. There's a there's a couple different Bible study methods. Like there's the soap method. Uh, maybe I'll do a video on those different methods. But I like the one. I like the pulling out fifty observations because it not only makes you read a lot more, but it makes you look for deeper meaning. And so it's just me, my two Bibles and Merriam-Webster dictionary, which let me go ahead and pull Merriam up. Merriam, where are you? 
There she go. She's still up from the last recording I did. But I just take out my dictionary and I use my dictionary to clear up anything that's just unclear for me. But also, I've got two Bibles. So I have a life application Bible. This is my life application Bible. It is a custom Bible that my grandmother got for me. Uh, so I have my life application study Bible. And then I have my John Maxwell leadership Bible. Okay. So I get a little bit of like the business with this and I get a lot about the life with that. So today we are talking about identity shifting, what it means to become someone different than who you are, what it means when you want to be someone different. And that's not a bad thing. What it means when you want to be someone different, what it, what it feels like when God is calling you to do something different or be someone different or show up in a different way. And that's kind of what like the identity shifting episode. Now I feel like I need to, when I edit that episode, I need to put that in there because that's what it is. Like when you are going through an identity shift and you're feeling all of these different side effects and symptoms and byproducts of things just feels like your life is just going wrong. Like it's just like everything is a hot mess and it doesn't matter if you thought something good was going to happen. It's like life is going crazy. And we always reference it as, oh, the craziness happens right before, you know, the great things happen or the, the storm happens right before the calm. And you just have to weather the storm. Okay, but well, what does it look like to weather the storm? That video answers the question, what does it look like to weather the storm as a God-centered woman? That's that, that video answers that question. It also answers the question, if I feel like God is calling me to do something or I feel like God is calling me to be someone or show up in a certain way, how do I do that? That gives that video gives you what you need to know in order to make that happen. And there's a free downloadable in that description as well. So definitely go read that description. Okay. So today for this Bible study, we are reading from Ephesians 4.22. Okay, we are reading from Ephesians 4.22 and this John C. Maxwell Leadership Bible, by the way, I will leave it linked in the description box below as well. This is the New King James version of the Bible. Okay, so if you're reading out of a different version, it may be a little bit different. I'm gonna grab my pencil because I'm gonna mark this thing. Okay, I'm gonna mark it up. So we have, um, so Ephesians 4, chapter 4, verse 22. I'm gonna read the verse first. So it says that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful just and be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is verse 23 and then verse 24 and that you put on the new man, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Okay. So that's what it says in the new King James version. And then I'm going to read it for you in the life application version as well, which is a little more close, which is a little closer to layman's terms. So Ephesians 4, 22 through 24 and the, uh, Life Application Study Bible, which is NIV, New International Version. It says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Mm, that's a little bit clearer for us. And then I'm going to read at the bottom. So at the bottom of the Life Application Study Bible you have the verses are at the top and at the bottom of every single page, it pulls out some of the verses from that area and it gives you an even deeper breakdown. So I'm going to give you the even deeper breakdown. Now, this is complete layman's terms. This is just an inference. Okay. Which just means it is a reference to the verse, but it's not the actual verse. I just want to be clear about that. This is not the actual verse. This is the interpretation of the verse. Okay. So for Ephesians 4, 22 through 24, the interpretation inside of the life study application Bible says we have abandoned our old way of life that we followed before we believed in Christ and left it completely in the past. Therefore, we should leave sin, shame and regret behind us like old clothes to be thrown away. When we accept Christ's gift of salvation, which is talked about in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, 
It requires both a once for all time decision and a daily conscious commitment. We must no longer be driven by our old sinful desires and impulses. We must put on the new self, dress for holy action, head in the new direction and use the new way of thinking that the Holy Spirit gives us. Okay. And then that also says, see Colossians 3, 5 through 15. Now, here's the thing. <laughs> okay. Listen. Here's the thing. This is very loaded. Okay. This is very loaded because the interpretation interpretation says when we accept Christ's gift of salvation, it requires both a once for all time decision and a daily conscious commitment. Okay. So conscious commitment, meaning it's something that we have to actually say, I'm going to do this and I'm going to work towards this, but also it says when we accept Christ's gift of salvation, which is a fee, which is a reference from Ephesians 2, 8, 10. So I'm just going to turn to Ephesians 2, 8, 10 right quick, because <laughs> listen, like I said, I read the actual verse. I did not read before and I did not read after. I have not read it recently anyway. So what y'all are getting right now is really like, I'm just, I'm just taking y'all through this the way that I would go through my Bible study. Okay. So Ephesians 2, 8 through 10 from the actual Bible says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Hmm. We are made alive in Christ. I think what struck me about that interpretation is that it assumes we've accepted Christ's gift of salvation. And although he has given us the gift of salvation, some of some people have not accepted that, right? Like someone can give you something and you still have to accept it. Someone can give me a compliment. I still have to accept the compliment. Someone can give me a dollar. I still have to accept the dollar in order to say, this dollar is now mine. I obtained this dollar. I take ownership of this dollar. So we have been given the salvation, but have you consciously accepted the salvation in order to be made new? That's the question you got to ask. You got to ask yourself that, right? You have to ask yourself that, but I want to read a little bit before and a little bit after. And let's see how long chapter four is. Cause listen, I ain't trying to Bible thump y'all. But I feel like we're going somewhere with this. This is going somewhere. Okay, it's not too long. We can read it. Okay. So in Ephesians 4.10, um, chapter 4 talks about unity in the body of Christ. That's what it is in the Life Application Bible. I should have sat at the table for this. In the Leadership Bible, the, the heading is Walk in Unity. Okay. So it talks about walking in unity spiritual gifts, the new man, do not grieve the spirit. Oh, Lord Jesus it's a word and do not grieve the spirit. Okay. Those are the chapter headings. I read, when I read my Bible, I'm not just reading, I'm reading everything. Okay. Those are the chapter headings that they give you. All right. I'm going to set this right here. And then in the life application, it's unity in the, the overall it's unity in the body of Christ. So it gives us instructions for Christian living. Same Bible, different, I mean, same uh, section, different interpretation, instruction for Christian living. So it does not break it down as much in the life application Bible as it does in the leadership Bible. And I think that's because it's giving us more leadership instruction inside of the leadership Bible. But we're going to read from the NIV. Okay. So chapter four, verse one says, as a prisoner for the Lord, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble. Oh, Lord. Already as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Are you living a life worthy of the calling you have received? This is what I be talking about when I'm talking to people. And I'm like, you, do you not understand that when you die and you go to heaven and you're standing at the pearly gates, they're like, we are going to look back at your life and you're going to have to answer to whether you really stepped into your calling or not. So like when you guys have gifts and skills and talents that you have, that you know you have and you're aware of and you don't use them, I'm just like, do you not realize you are not making a good case for yourself right now? Like you're just not. 
Are you living a life worthy of the calling you have received? Woo, I feel that in my soul. Okay, I'm so sorry. I'm, I'm not sorry, but I am sorry, okay? Because I'm going off the Richter a little bit. That's going to be my first observation. Like, number one, <laughs> let's just write the number one next to it. My hand is shaking. Number one is live a life worthy of the calling you have received. So that was my first observation. My second was, um, uh, my second was there is only one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope, you were called one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, father of all, was overall, through all, you know. So that's my second observation. Just because like, come on y'all, like we, like I'm tired of this universe stuff. Everybody's not going to say it, but I'm going to say it because y'all kind of getting on my nerves. Like it's a little disrespectful. Okay. So that's my second observation. And then, uh, let's, let's keep going. Right. Okay. So verse seven, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Nine, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all of the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we're going to pause here for a second because these five positions are important. And I, this is why in the beginning of this video, I said, I am not a pastor. I am not a pastor. Okay. I do not consider myself to be a pastor. I consider myself to be a teacher, which is why I have two Bibles open and the Merriam-Webster dictionary. And I have all my like teaching glasses, okay? I consider myself to be a teacher, not a pastor. But let's talk about what that looks like. So in the life application, I'm sorry, in the leadership Bible, because it's a leadership Bible, it does actually give you the breakdown of those five leadership roles inside of the church. It's not just the preacher. It's not just the deacons and the deacons is not even listed in here. Okay. I'm just saying what's on the Bible. I'm just saying what's in the Bible. Okay. Not saying that y'all wrong. If y'all got deacons or don't have deacons, you know, I don't know, but I am just looking at what is in Ephesians 4, 11 through 16, as stated directly in the Bible, the five positions of leadership in the church. OK, you can look it up if you want to. The first type that it gives is the apostle. So an apostle is one sent forth to pioneer and establish new works and new leaders. That's an apostle. OK, so if you feel like I'm a leader who's called to lead leaders, which I know a couple of people who feel like that. I'm a leader who's called to lead leaders or I help develop leaders. If you're a leadership coach and you have faith base, you are probably an apostle. Like there's a reason why you feel called to lead leaders and not like not, not necessarily feeling called to lead other people who don't consider themselves to be leaders. Okay. The second type of leadership role in the church as defined in the Bible is a prophet. One who speaks forth God's words to inspire, correct, and motivate. Okay. Listen, y'all, there are a lot of people who's, who claim to be prophets that are not prophets. You have to use your own level of discernment to decide who is and who isn't. But one thing I do know for sure is that anytime that I meet someone who says, well, first of all, uh, people that I meet that, I, that, that are prophets, that know they are prophets, are not uh, like outwardly telling everybody, I'm a prophet, I'm a prophet, I'm a prophet, I'm a prophet. They're just not like that. Like, so... When people come off like that, I'd be like, are you sure? Because you you seem like you're trying to prove something to me. And a real prophet, they don't do that, okay? They don't do that. And it says in here, they speak forth God's word to inspire, correct, and motivate. What you will notice when you meet someone who is a prophet, like real deal, they're a little bit mean. I'm using the word mean like lightly, but they're a little mean. They be re they're really straightforward. They are like a little bit like they're like tough love. They're very um and not all of them, but they will they will humble you and they will be like God going to humble you. Like they will tell you exactly what it is because their their interest is not in sugarcoating. Their interest is making sure that you know 
what God has said. Okay. So they're a little bit like mm, in your face. Okay. Um, and it says that it's one who speaks forth God's word to inspire, correct. And that's where the tough love part comes in and motivate. Okay. The third leadership role in the church as defined in the Bible is an evangelist. That's one who shares Christ with outsiders and trains others to do so. Evangelists are also often like people who are very like they're hype and they're outgoing and they like to meet people. I mean, they're evangelists like <laughs> they like to meet people and they're just like super high energy I love evangelists. Okay. And then the fourth type of leadership role in the church is a pastor. This is the one that most of you guys know, one who shepherds, guides, and guards God's people as they serve. And then the fifth type is a teacher. That's the one I consider myself to be. It's one who trains God's people in the truth and teaches others to do so. Okay. So I look at the Bible as this is an instruction manual. Like this is our guide we should stick as close to this as possible if we're trying to do this thing correctly <laughs> I'm a teacher right I'm teacher mode I'm teacher mode okay so those are those five leadership roles in the church if you want to pick up the John C. Maxwell leadership bible definitely do so if you consider yourself to be a leader so that is my third observation my third observation from this chapter is definitely going to be um like those five different and that he he has designated those five leadership areas, like those five leadership titles and roles so that we can equip his people for works of service. Okay. So that's my third. I'm only going to do 10 by the way, because if I went through all 50, it would be a lot. Okay. So this is going to continue reading here. Ephesians four, chapter four, verse 14, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Oh, this is warning us right here. This is warning us. He's equipping us for works of service so that we may be built up until we all reach unity in faith and in the knowledge of the son of God and become mature. You need to be connected to at least one of each of these five that's how you like, that's how you increase your level of discernment. It's growing in your own relationship with God, but then also making sure that in your life, you are connected to an apostle, you're connected to a prophet, you're connected to an evangelist, you're connected to a pastor, and you're connected to a teacher, all five of those positions. Okay. Because all of those are necessary in the knowledge of the son of God to become mature. Because when you are not mature, what happens? It says it right here in verse 14 and 414. It says it. You're tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and the craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming. It is very easy for you to be deceived and scammed and taught the wrong thing and you believe the wrong, you're listening to the wrong person when you are not connected to to all five of these leadership roles, not one of them, to all five of these leadership roles, there needs to be, the seat needs to be filled in your life of someone that you can say by name, this is my pastor, this is someone that I trust that's an evangelist that I can talk to, this is someone that I trust that is a teacher that I can talk to, this is someone that I can trust that is a uh, that is a, uh, prophet that I can talk to. Okay. Like one of each of those five. Okay. Now it continues in verse 15, instead speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. So I'm going to make my, my, um, what are we on observation number four here? Let's see. One, two, three, four, yes, four, spiritual maturity. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every aspect, the mature body of him who is head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Okay, 15, that is my uh, 16, that's my fifth observation. Every part of the body has to do its job in order for this thing to work. That's why it's so important if you are a leader, if you're in leadership, if you feel like you are called to lead in one of these roles that you're not worried about what is such and such is doing over here and what such and such is doing over there, because number one, that's not your job unless you're a prophet because <laughs> it's correct. But 
understand that when you are looking at someone else and judging someone else, that means that you're lacking on fulfilling your responsibilities. And now the body is coming to a lack, right? Like we're having a hard time moving and strengthening because the arms worried about the neck, the neck's worried about the leg, the legs worried about the head. Like it's just too much. And honestly, I feel like this applies to a lot of different scenarios. I have, um, I had a really good friend who loved football. He loves football and, um, we're not friends anymore, but he loves, he loves football and he has a favorite team. And he explained to me, I'm like, why is this your favorite team? And why is it number one? Why is this your favorite team? And why is it that every single time, not every single time, but why is it that they win so much? Like, that's my question. Like if we're watching, and this is, this is my teacher brain watching football, trying to think of this in a strategic way and trying to make it make sense. Like if we know there are certain teams in the league that are good, why is it that there are only a couple of teams that continue to dominate and everyone else is not dominating, even though every team has access to watch film. Every team has the same amount of time to practice. Every team has professional coaches and the best massage therapists and the best trainers and the best equipment. And the, like, if everyone is afforded, if every team in the, in the league is afforded, this is for my, I don't have a lot of men that watch my channel, but this is for y'all. If every league has the same access as the others, then why is it that some teams and consistently the same teams dominate? Like we could just roll a dice right now and assume that the Super Bowl for the next 10 years is going to be won by either the Patriots, the Steelers, the Cowboys or the Packers. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't even watch football and I can throw that out and say the next 10 years is probably going to look something like that for whoever wins the Super Bowl. Why is that so? And when I had this conversation with him, he explained it to me and he said this, he said, because on the Patriots team, they understand what the Patriots, they understand that each person has a job to do. And instead of the lineman being worried about the receiver and the receiver being worried about the quarterback, the quarterback being worried about the tight end and da, 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 da. Everybody is focused on doing their job to the best of their ability. And that makes them greater as a team because they're not policing each other. Whose job is it to police all the people on the team? It's the coach's job. It's not the player's job. So when everyone plays their role and the coach has his role, and then there's coaches for each position because there are such small intricacies in the different positions on the team that each position has its own coach. But when everyone focuses on doing their job, we're going to win. And that's how he explained it to me. And that is what this is saying, right? The body of Christ, we all have our own job. Our job is to identify where we fit into that body. What gifts has God given us? What talents, what skills has God given us? And how can we use those to serve in our area? For you guys that struggle with anxiety, for you that, for, for everyone who's listening to this, who struggles with overwhelm and if you are a people pleaser and you say yes to everything the reason why your life is not going the way you want it to is because you were saying yes to things that belong to other people you have to say no and refocus on your gifts your skills your talents your abilities your responsibility your calling because when you start to take on other people's calling and other people's responsibilities the entire body fails and I'm talking about the body of Christ right now but it could be the body of your life it could be the body of your life. It could be your household that's falling apart. It could be your team at work that's falling apart. It could be this passion project that you've been working on that's falling apart. It could be your church that is falling apart because you're people pleasing and saying yes to everyone and everything. And it's not for you. And not only are you contributing to the wreckage, like let's be real. Not only are you contributing to the downfall, you're stressing yourself out in the meantime. You saying no to someone could be the best thing you do for yourself and the best thing you do for them. It could be the best thing you do for everybody. Saying no is not selfish. Okay. When you say no to something that's not for you, you say yes to something that is for you. 
You're freeing up capacity for you to operate in the way that God designed you to operate in. That's what saying no is. That's what saying no means. That's what it means when you are opening up and creating space in your life. You're saying yes to capacity. Okay, you're saying yes to capacity. So let's keep reading because I only have four, five, six observations. We're going to get to 10 here. All right. So 16 says from him, the whole body joined himself and held together. Oh, no, we just read 16. I'm sorry. 17 says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking. 18, they are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. Now, that sounds like real foreign to me. I don't know about y'all, but it sounds a little bit foreign to me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go read down in the application. I have a, like a sense of what we're talking about here. <laughs> it's a little naughty. I have a sense of what we're talking about here, but we're going to read in life application. Um, and it says, uh, and this is not the actual Bible verse. This is the interpretation inside of the life application Bible. It says people should be able to see a difference between Christians and non-Christians because of the way Christians live. Bam. Whoa. It's a bar. It's a bar. People should be able to see a difference between Christians and non-Christians because of the way Christians live. Not because of what you say, not because of what kind of car you drive, not because you look like you're humble and you give all of your earnings to the, the poor, not because you do or don't have money, not because of what somebody else said, not because of how many Bibles you have in your house, by the way that you live, okay? By the way that you live. As children of light, Paul told the Ephesians to leave behind their previous lives of slavery, to sin and to focus on their new way of life by relying on the power of God's spirit to renew them from the inside out. Following Christ takes a lifetime. Although we have a new nature, we don't automatically think all good thoughts and express all godly attitudes when we become new people in Christ. But if we keep listening to God, we will be changing all the time. As you look back over last year, do you see a process of change for the better in your thoughts, attitudes, and actions? Although change may be slow, it comes as you trust God to change you. Okay. It comes as you trust God to change you. That is the breakdown, right? Of 17, Ephesians 4, 17. Now I want to get to Ephesians 4, 17 over here. Cause I'm feeling like this, this Bible is about to give me some life. I feel like the leadership Bible is about to tell me something. Okay. 417 is called the new man in the leadership Bible. And it says this, I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness of their heart who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanliness with greediness. Okay. Same thing. So same thing. All right. Now we're finally at the part that the initial verse came from. So this laid a really strong foundation for us of like, Hey, we're not just talking about, you know, 22, which is you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self. We're not just talking about letting go of the old version of you in order to become the new version of you. We're setting the stage and the Bible is setting the stage by letting you know are you living a life worthy of the calling you have received? You have to make every single effort to keep the unity. You have a gift. You have a skill. There is a designation for what it is that you are supposed to do. And when you identify what that is and you become aware, it becomes your responsibility to take on developing spiritual maturity. That lays the entire foundation for you coming in and saying, I can do this. I can let go of the old and become something new. I can be made new. I can accept this salvation that God has given me. I can accept this, accept this salvation from Christ. I can do this. I can make the identity shift. And I, I don't want you to just think bad to good, right? It's not just bad to good. Like I was a smoker and now I'm not a smoker no more. Or I used to drink alcohol and I don't drink alcohol no more. Or 
you know, I used to, I used to, I don't know, rob people and I don't rob people anymore. It's not, it's not the identity shifting is not always bad to good. Identity shifting is to who you think you are to who God says you are. That's what identity shifting is. So some of y'all, y'all, you don't smoke, you don't drink, you don't do, you don't commit sins. You don't steal from people, but you're still not living in the right identity because you're living the way that you think you're supposed to be living. You're not living the way that God has called you to live. And I'm not talking about good and bad. You're not utilizing your gifts. Maybe you're not utilizing your skills. You're not tapped into your passion. You're not operating in your purpose. Maybe you don't even know what your purpose is. Are you looking for it? Are you looking for it in the right place? Are you vigorously looking for it? Because you understand the weight that is on you if you do not find it. Like understand that if you do not find your purpose, there's a domino effect that is going to happen here. We're not just talking about you. We're talking about everybody. And even more closely related to you, we're talking about the domino effect of what happens when you don't find your purpose with your children and your children's children. Your legacy is lost when you do not intentionally say, what is my purpose? What has God called me to do on this earth? Who is he calling me to be? And let me intentionally step into that. This is going to be a harsh reality for some people right now. Because you think it's cool. I'm going to get to it when I get to it. But if you have kids, it's no longer and I'm going to get to when I get to it. And if you don't, even if you don't have kids, if you are, if you have people that look up to you, if you have people that are looking at you, and when I say look up to you, I don't always mean younger people, younger than you. It could be people parallel to you that are looking at you because they see you as a leader because you've done great things in your life, but you're not being intentional about operating in God's purpose and operating in God's purpose for your life. I doesn't necessarily mean that you're a leadership in one of these five leadership roles, but it also doesn't mean that your purpose means anything less. Your purpose isn't any less important than the pastor's purpose. Your assignment is no less important than the prophet's assignment. Your assignment is no less important than the evangelist's assignment. It all holds the same weight. That's what it means when he says he loves us all the same. It's not one more than the other or one less than the other. Your assignment holds the same weight as, as a pastor of a mega church with 10,000 members. Sit on that. It's just as important for you to figure out what your purpose is and who God is calling you to be as T.D. Jakes, as Tony Evans, and whoever else you listen to, <laughs> right? Like those are, those are the two people that I listen to, as Priscilla Schreier, as Jackie Hill Perry. Pick, say anybody's name you want to say that for some reason you think that because their voice is magnified that their purpose is more important. No, it's all the same. It's not more important. It's not less important. It's all the same. All right. So we've got that. I tell you this, insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in futility in their thinking. Okay. Now, chapter 20 brings us to that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Jesus Christ. And we're taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by his deceitful desires. So you were taught to put off your old self. That's my seventh. Put off your old self, letting go of old things, letting go of old attitudes, thoughts, desires, actions, behaviors, ideas, uh, 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 interests, all of that. You're letting go of all of those old things to become new, not just one of them. Okay. If you let go of the action and you don't let go of the thought, you haven't made the identity shift. You understand that if you let go of the action, but you haven't let go of the thought. So let's say this. If I, I, if I said to myself, I'm no longer going to drink alcohol and I let go of the action, I stopped drinking alcohol, but I still think about it every day. The identity shift hasn't happened. The identity shift is complete when you no longer think about the alcohol. Like one day you'll wake up and you'll be like, man, I haven't thought about a margarita in like five weeks. And listen, if you still drink margaritas, like it's, it's okay. Like I, to each his own, right? I'm not saying that alcohol is going to send you to hell. That's not what I'm saying. Okay. I have a sip of wine every now and then. 
I'm not I'm not like a heavy drinker. Drinking's not like eh, like whatever. Like, you know, it's I've never been like that though. Okay. Cause I'm lit by myself, baby. I don't need no alcohol. I don't need no hookah to get. I don't know. I don't know about y'all, but I don't. I live in Atlanta, but I don't need hookah to get lit. Like I, I'm a lit personality. I'm good. I'm a good personality all by myself. I don't need no alcohol. That's how I've always thought of it. But if you have said that to yourself, or that you're not gonna drink, but you're still thinking about it, the identity shift is not complete. Or if God has told you not to drink and you and you're not drinking but you're still thinking about it the identity shift is not complete this is probably easier this is easier to see too like if you've ever fasted what you'll notice is that when you go through a period of fasting the beginning of that fasting even though you're not eating the things that you said you weren't going to eat or even though you are keeping to you know no food 6 a.m to 6 p.m sunrise to sunset or whatever it is that you've decided even though your actions have come first sometimes your thoughts become come afterwards Sometimes it's thoughts, then actions. Sometimes it's actions, then thoughts. Okay. So that's my, uh, next observation. What are we at? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Okay. Let's keep reading. Uh, 25 says, therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor for we all members are all members of one body in your anger do not sin do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold this is super important this is gonna be my observation number eight right here do not let the sun go down while you are still angry i do not go to bed angry i don't know where i honestly don't even know where i got that from oh nope i do know where i got it from I had an ex a really long time ago and his mom was like a super Bible thumper. Like y'all, like I'm talking about like Judgy McJuster. By the way, he knows who he is. I don't know if he's gonna watch this video, but this is the internet. Who knows where this video is gonna end up? But you know who you are. Your mama was a Bible thumper. She was a judger. Like she used to judge everybody. She used to always say that. Do not go to sleep angry. She used to say that and it stuck with me. So do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. By the way, before reading this, I had no idea that was actually in the Bible. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. That's good though. Like, because you know what happens, what it really is? It's not, oh, the sun goes down. So let me just resolve all my problems with everybody that I know. It's burdens. It's like, it's like holding on to um, grudges, people who hold grudges. That's what it is. Is this that's what it's basically saying? It's like don't hold grudges because you're giving the devil a foothold. When you start to hold a grudge, you open yourself up for other types of negativity. And that's not good. Like, that's just not, it's not serving you to hold a grudge. Like, if you want to be mad about it, be mad about it for 10 minutes or however long. And then whenever you're done being mad, be just let it go. You don't have to love that person. You don't have to like that person. You don't got to be friends with them. You can decide what you want to do with that relationship. That is that is up to you. We ain't talking about that in this episode. Yeah, holding grudges is like, it's just something I've never been a fan of. <laughs> like, I I don't have time to, to like hold, because when you're holding a, we, we, it's literally holding a grudge, right? First of all, it's literally holding a grudge. It is emotional baggage. But when you are holding a grudge, you are reserving space in your heart to harbor negative emotions. You're also reserving space in your brain because you're thinking about it. You're thinking, I'm not going to talk to that person. I'm not going to be friends with that person. I'm not going to da, 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 da. And if you see them, then it starts taking up even more space because it's at the forefront of your mind. Like, it's just a lot. It's a lot. Do y'all not feel like that when you hold a grudge? You just start to be over. Like, you start to focus more on the person than you really want to focus on the person when you hold a grudge. So that's why I don't hold grudges for a long time. I do not stay mad for a long time. My partner thinks it's the weirdest thing. He's like, you were just mad at me five minutes ago, and now you're in the kitchen skipping around cooking like what is happening so he like he's become accustomed to it but I'm just not and and a, a lot of people honestly a lot of people see it as oh you can't hold a grudge I don't want to hold a grudge I do not have space in my heart space in my mind to be worried about not being worried about you it, is, it just doesn't make any sense. Okay. So it says it right here in the Bible. Now, now we can put the argument to rest. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Okay. Verse 28 says, anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work 
doing something useful with their own hands, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouth, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs and that it may benefit those who listen. So no, no smack talk. Okay. Can I make that my 10th observation? Where we at? Is it worthy of being my 10th observation? Let's see. We got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. I got two more left. I don't think I want to waste the observation on that, but do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. I think that's interesting. I do want to circle that as my ninth observation, just because I want to go read in the footnotes. And then verse 30 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. 32. That is my 10th observation. Forgiveness is hard. I feel like I need to do a whole episode on forgiveness. So let's go read the footnotes because that's the end of chapter four for our study today. And let's see. Um, so in the life application Bible, it says for verse chapter four, verse 28 through 32, we can give the Holy Spirit by the way we live. I mean, I'm sorry, we can grieve the Holy Spirit by the way we live. Paul warns us against unwholesome language, bitterness, improper use of anger, brawling, slander, and bad attitudes towards others. Instead of acting that way, we should be forgiving just as God has forgiven us. We should encourage others every chance we get. Are you grieving or pleasing God with your attitudes and actions? Act in love towards your brothers and sisters in Christ, just as God acted in love by sending his son to die for our sins. The Holy Spirit within us is a seal or guarantee that we belong to God. Jesus taught his law, this law of forgiveness in the Gospels, Matthew and Mark. We also see it in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. God forgives us not because we forgive others, but solely because of his great mercy. Those who are unwilling to forgive have not become one with Christ, who was willing to forgive even those who crucified him. As we come to understand his mercy, however, we will want to be like him because Jesus forgave us. Our forgiving attitude towards others should stand out in striking contrast to the unforgiving spirit shown by most of the world. Okay. It talks about the equipping. So it says for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of their faith and of the knowledge of the son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love, it may grow up in all things into him who is head Christ from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies according to the effective working by which every part does its share causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself of self love. So here's why I wanted to go back to that. The equipping. It's the leader's job, okay? The equipping, I feel like applies to, now depending on where you're seeing this, because I'm a business coach, but I'm also a life a life coach. And when I'm life coaching, most of the time, I am coaching leaders. I am coaching business owners, entrepreneurs. I'm coaching coaches. I'm coaching, um, I am coaching personal brands, influencers, like, I most of the time am coaching people who have some level of influence over large masses of other people. And so the word equipping is different from the word shepherding. Okay. Now, if you're a business owner, B2B is equipping. B2C is shepherding. Okay. B2B is business to business. B2C is business to consumer. It's shepherding. There is a difference in the way you communicate when you are equipping versus when you are shepherding and if you are if you are having a hard time with deciding like things like what type of content to post and how to reach your ideal client all that kind of stuff a lot of times it's because you're confused on whether you're equipping or shepherding um, and I know that just from a coaching perspective, but equipping, it, this is what it says. Equipping is a tough job, much harder than shepherding. The leader is to equip others for ministry. Paul explains the goal for the shepherd, which is in Ephesians 4.12 and the goal of the sheep, which is in Ephesians 4.13, then describes the result, which is in 14 through 16. If leaders wish to equip their people, they must give them certain gifts. Okay. So there are eight things listed here. 
This is inside of the leadership Bible it is an excerpt from the leadership Bible. Okay. If you've got the Bible, we're on page 1422. That'll make life a little bit easier for you. If you don't have the Bible, check the description box and order yourself one. But one, I must care for them. So care is communication, affirmation, recognition, and example. Okay. If you are equipping other leaders, or if you're equipping people who believe that they are leaders to go lead others, you must do that through communication, affirmation, recognition, and example. Good leaders are measured by those four things. Okay. The second thing is I must work on their weaknesses, but work out their strengths. The third thing is I must give them myself time, energy, and focus. Four is I must give them ownership of the ministry, trusting you to go do the thing. Okay. Number five is I must become a resource person, atmosphere, training, support tools. Six, I must make expectations clear. Seven, I must eliminate unnecessary burdens. And eight, I must catch them doing something good then reward them. These eight things are skill sets that you need to be a good coach. If you have been thinking about becoming a coach, it doesn't matter what industry it is. If you've been thinking about becoming a coach or having a coaching business, these eight skills are the eight skills that you will need to become a great coach, not a good coach, not an average coach, not an everyday yada, yada, whatever. A great coach is these eight things. Caring for your clients through communication, affirmation, recognition, example, working on their weaknesses, but working out their strengths, giving them yourself time, energy, and focus, giving them ownership of the ministry, like giving them ownership of their ministry, right? Becoming a resource person for atmosphere, training, support, and tools, making expectations clear, eliminating unnecessary burdens and catching them doing something good and then rewarding them. Those are the, like the eight skill sets of being a great coach. So if you consider yourself to be God-centered and you don't got this Bible, please go get this Bible, but also seriously read through Ephesians because it's going to give you a lot on how to be a leader, how to be an influencer, how to equip, how to equip people. Okay. Um, and by a lot of measures, we say a lot of measures now is, it's not about how much wealth you have amassed. It's not about the amount of assets you have. It's about the fruit that's coming off of your tree. Like are the people that you're teaching, the people that you're coaching, are they experiencing that same harvest or a similar harvest? That's the measure by which you are an effective coach or an effective leader. So Ephesians 4, chapter 4, so good. Um, thank y'all so much for joining me for this Bible study, I hope that you got something really good out of it as far as, you know, shifting your identity, showing up as a leader, being in those leadership roles and positions, and just like understanding that your assignment is, it just, it holds so much weight. It's so important. It's so vital and pressing that you take it seriously and be more intentional and more conscious about the assignment God has put on your life. So thank y'all so much for joining me. I will see y'all for another Bible study with me sometime soon. See y'all later.